0: Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. All right, today on the Gnomecast, we have a special guest, and once again, this is a returning guest. You've been on the Gnomecast before, but for anyone that may not have caught that episode, would you like to talk about who you are and why people should know you from the TTRPG space?
1: Uh, my name is Chris Spivey. I'm a writer, game developer, publisher, and all around geek. Uh, I'd probably <laughs> m- best be known for Harlem Unbound and some people for my new published book called Haunted West. If you're looking to know me, you'll know that I'll talk about politics and actual history and try to make it engaging as possible and some game design chat. With a love of Doctor Who, that's also a hate relationship at the same time. <laughs>
0: So what is your history with Westerns? Have you been a fan of the genre long-term, or is this something that developed over time?
1: A bit of both. So growing up in Alabama with my grandmother, we had one TV, and I would wake up at the crack of dawn to start watching cartoons, and she would cruise downstairs at around nine, and then by ten, we would decide that we wanted to watch Westerns together, and we would turn the channel. (laughs) so at first it was a lot of why am i watching this dull show and (laughs) over the course of time sort of became like our ritual and it was a way that we spent time together and then i started really engaging with the westerns themselves and even as i was engaging with them though i started noticing a trope relatively quickly and there weren't a lot of people that looked like me that had any sort of primary role or that usually weren't enslaved or being made fun of in some sense
0: yeah, and what's really interesting about that is as I've been reading through Haunted West, I've even been looking through like a lot of the modern westerns that I really like now because I was not a fan when I was younger. But even in a lot of modern westerns that really hasn't changed a whole lot. No. I mean, I I love the the uh Coen Brothers version of True Grit, but this is not something that, you know, that has a widely diverse cast. <laughs>
1: Uh, or you can even look at Django Unchained that I, I have mixed feelings about.
0: <laughs>
1: but, but then we can also say at the same time that it just came out last week. So I'll update your podcast for you. It um, actually <laughs> came out this week. The Heart of They Fall just came mm-hmm. out. And it is a great action piece with primarily Black cast and everything else told by a Black storyteller that I love and I have some problems with due to my love of historical accuracy <laughs> and some of the choices I made. But I think everyone needs to go out and see it, give them money, support it, so we can get more representation in the genre. And we do that by giving it our views and our money.
0: I I really liked it. I watched it. And also, your uh, thread about the historical inaccuracies was kind of interesting because it also reminded me that, oh, yeah, there is actually quotes that he used in Haunted West from one of these characters that is not uh, quite the same way he appears in history.
1: Yeah. So, but no spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it nope. uh, go watch it and if you want to talk to me about it on twitter come out i'm happy to engage and have some heated discussions in a nice friendly manner <laughs> but be warned i've learned from uh dennis dettwiller that block is my favorite new friend
0: <laughs> i will say i really i really love the movie and everyone just really brings their a-game in this i love watching the actors but i won't go into exactly how it happens but i i love zazie beats first scene when she comes in there <laughs> because that there's so much presence in that that first scene that she appears in it's oh yeah I, yeah
1: and <laughs> regina king's first move oh in, goodness <laughs> and uh, jonathan majors in his first flight in that, that they show in it oh beautiful <laughs> like i was thinking this is the, the old school, like the man with no name. We've got some Tarantino in there. We've got all sorts of cool Western action directions. And then the story itself
0: <laughs> that I still won't spoil. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I would definitely agree. It's People should go and watch that. It was, it, was, it was really an enjoyable movie. So to bring this back around to game design again, <laughs> between both editions of Harlem Unbound, you were working with either the Gumshoe system or with Call of Cthulhu. How was this a different experience creating a system specifically for this game?
1: So I've actually sort of been using a version of the system for over a decade now, because it's um, to D100, roll under, or match, because I think one of the easiest things to learn is the D100 system. So you've got a a static stat, we'll say like a skill of 60 in observation. I say you roll a D100, you roll, you know, if you get 60 or below, Cool beans, you made it above you failed, <laughs> and that is such a, a quick thing for people to pick up. Then that enabled me to add some additional nuance to it, like the better you roll, the more narrative control you might have over scene or situation. And that's something I've been wow. using in my own games. And this gave me a chance to fully develop it and flesh it out because mm-hmm. I want Darker Hughes Studios to have its own, uh, we'll say universal system that we can tweak somewhat for multiple genres. Mm-hmm. And having played a lot of games from Gumshoe, Call of Cthulhu, to Slate Industries, to I actually ran um, Vampire for over a decade, (laughs) and uh, gaming from five. So it taught me a lot about different systems and different aspects of things I liked, and I wanted to pull some of those in and put a different spin on some of them and then create parts that I hadn't seen before.
0: All right. I know um, one of the things that I was going to uh, bring up here too is you have multiple modes of play in haunted west what made you decide to go with that strategy
1: i like crunchy rolls i like crunchy rolls a lot <laughs> i like them so much but i'll still say that i do not like um i was, let me rephrase that <laughs> hero fifth edition uh champions fifth edition is still even a little bit too crunchy for me <laughs> so I'm, I'm almost right there for the of crunch but i know that not everyone wants to do all that so i wanted something that people would have their own choice of how they wanted to play with and engage the game So, we built a three tier system for it. The first tier is called um, Quick Draw, which is super narrative focus. The only player that ever rolls, the only person ever rolls is going to be the player. And it's almost more of like you're betting as you're telling the story, as you would be at a gambling table. Like you keep raising the stakes and raising the stakes until the Balladeer, who for us is the game moderator, says, All right, that that is too high a tail. Make make me a call. (laughs) Because we call the rolls in the game a call. We kind of keep a little bit of that in there. And if you succeed, that means your story goes how you said it did, and you can keep building up that that Jenga tower as you go through. <laughs> if it doesn't, your story doesn't stop, but the Balladeer gets to take some control over it, and you will usually add some interesting, we'll call them hindrances, to be nice, <laughs> to your story that you still have to overcome. But then it keeps going on. And so only there, the player will roll. Or we have, I'll jump to the third tier. Uh, the third tier is called the Badlands, which is a miniatures combat. This is a little bit of the, the war gamer in from way <laughs> back in the day. And I wanted to have something that was a little bit different. So you ha- we have a thing called stamina points and we have like actions that you can do and all of them cost different points and you can get more stamina points for experience and other things. And sometimes you can share them with your teammates and it lets you do super cool stuff. And it all plays out like that. He's a little bit of a different gamut system. And the third one is called Dead Man's Hand. Which is our, we'll say, traditional system. It's got in-depth rules for chasing, be it on horseback, jetpack, <laughs> teleporting, because it's a weird, it's a weird West game, and Weird <laughs> West covers a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I'm, two of the things I'm really happy with are the dual mechanics that we created. So we have two different types of duels. There's sort of a gunslinger duel where it's like you and someone else, and you're drawing down, or Social duels, which are just as important in the Old West, is able to like defeat people with your words or like sway people to your side. And those are sort of multi-round engagements between Paragon to what we call the players and named NPCs. So it's so specialized, only certain people can engage in them. And the other bit that I really love is we have a grit mechanic, which is sort of a, a meta currency that lets you get additional actions, you can get bonuses to your skill rolls, but one of the things I really want to focus on in the game is that the Old West isn't really about one exceptional person. It's about a community. And that community helps build up and that one exceptional person can do something awesome because they have that foundation to work from. And so in the game, if you spend a grit point on your own skill, you get a plus 10 to your role. But if you spend a grit point to like help one of your allies, that ally gets a plus 20%. So it's sort of like mechanically reinforcing the concept of community in the game to help you be more awesome as a group.
0: That actually reminds me a little bit, uh, 7C, second edition, had a thing where if you spend your hero points on other people, they get more of a benefit than if you spend your hero point to do this yourself because it's, you know, meant to work in that teamwork element. Awesome. And it is it is true. There are a lot of Westerns where it, you know, there's a lot of people can think of the Westerns where there is the one singular stoic hero, but there's also just as many Westerns where, there is a group of people that are coming together to do a thing. I mean, that's
1: like the professionals yeah, or the Magnificent Seven. Yes. <laughs> or um, we could go to the Seven Samurai. I'm
0: just saying. <laughs> Episodes of Clone Wars that were like the Magnificent Seven.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it could even go back to one of the principles where in some of the Westerns, they would go out and they would recruit the townspeople to do things with mm-hmm. them. And that in itself is sort of like them coming back to a community to sort of elevate it to go and do something with them.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. The thing that I liked when I was reading about the uh, quick draw rules is I have times when I have an idea for a scenario, but I do not have the time or the energy to stat out things. And it's not that I don't sometimes like having you know the the more, you know granular rules. It's that at that moment, at that time, the storyteller part's working fine. The math brain is not going to engage. And I really like the idea that you could just shift into that mode to do like a night's gaming. You don't miss the night's gaming. It's just I, as the uh, as the uh, balladeer, would not have to stop and stat up anything. I just need to have a general idea of what's going to happen.
1: Oh, I love it. Um, that... <laughs> That took a while to figure out, like, the right balance for that. Because um, I should also mention the one underlying thing throughout all three tiers is that the core mechanic is always a D100. Like, that doesn't change regardless of anything else. Uh, so I guess the other thing I should mention is there is, in fact, hidden in the book, a fourth system. Yes. Because <laughs> um, I put out Harlem Bound, and I gave you initially the gumshoe system, and you had, like, the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition system for people to run with in the first edition. Second edition is strictly Call of Cthulhu and Pulp Cthulhu because it's Chaosium published it, but I saw it. Right. And so go with that. But I noticed that people, um, they love the book, they love the material, but then they wanted to, like, use Powered by the Apocalypse. (laughs) So I was like, hmm, if you're (laughs) going to take the book and you're going to use p uh power by the apocalypse anyway maybe i can just give you a hack to start with (laughs) to help you on your journey and it let me hire some another cool creative to come onto the project Mm -hmm. because i know powered by the apocalypse because i've played it but i am not the person to write that
0: yeah yeah and and honestly even though i like granular systems i love monster of the week and i have run that a lot And I felt like even glancing through the uh, PBTA part of the book, like some of those playbooks definitely have a monster of the week vibe to them.
1: (laughs) And I know when I was first kickstarting the project, I reached out to uh, Vincent Baker and asked if it would be okay if we used it. I know that it's open, but I also wanted if you'd be okay if we like used his logo for the book, because I'm using Mm -hmm. some of the product that they made. So I wanted to make sure that they were properly credited and people can like see Mm -hmm. this is the person that originated this.
0: So speaking of overall genres, you brought up a few times things about Weird West. Why do you think, well, first off, how would you define Weird West? And why do you think that is a very popular subgenre
1: of Western now? Oh, you want to get to my, my, one of the Kickstarter comment debates that we had (laughs) after it launched. (laughs) Um, So the Weird West is not just supernatural vampires. The Weird West is like sort of this massive, all encompassing genre that includes supernatural fantasy elements, alien extraterrestrial elements, which is <laughs> highlighted in the book. Because <laughs> if you want to go back to some actual historical touch points, I think one of the first um alien ships that was that were recorded that have a strong history happened around eighteen sixty six or sixty eight, which we also mentioned in the book as a historical <laughs> note. I don't know if you found it yet.
0: No, I hadn't gotten to that part. <laughs> And
1: so we it has all these great elements. And that's why you get things like the Waddled West, where there was almost sort of a a spy Western show. You get stuff like Briscoe County, where you have alien technology infusing people (laughs) with superpowers, (laughs) all the way to burrowers all over the place. And so I love the openness that you can make anything in the Weird West and sort of attach it on if you add the right flavor and swagger to it.
0: I need to find Brusco County somewhere. I have. I,
1: uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now.
0: Is it? Holy crap! I gotta watch that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it when it was first on, and I saw a few episodes, and then it was gone, and I never saw it again. So I need to do that
1: again. Which, sorry, tangent. Uh, tangent yeah, make no. like tangent. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I was rewatching it the other day because you know now that the book is basically with the printer. I have all this free time that I don't know what to do with, <laughs> and I'm, I'm transitioning out of my Western mode, because any project I work on, I buy a slew of books, I get a slew of internet research, and all mm-hmm. my time is spent ingesting information so that I can like process it and then put it out in a hopefully more lyrical and engaging manner <laughs> than the material I read. Uh, and So that I'm not doing that, I started sitting down just to rewatch, and I was watching um, The Big Valley. Don't know if you saw it. Early early Lee Majors before he became the Fall Guy and Barbara Stanwick.
0: hmm I'm named Jared. <laughs> this is the origin of my name here.
1: I I mentioned to you that I had insomnia and I've been up since since two o'clock this morning. And it is now, for people who don't know, eight o'clock at night. I I work, I'm dispelling the magic of the show for people. <laughs> Because I didn't make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was like in uh, 1965, I guess we have to be more specific because we're talking about Westerns. And <laughs> even for like 1965, watching the show, it had a little bit more of a progressive bent to it mm-hmm. than a lot of the other shows did. And that was just really great to see uh, that some people are trying incrementally, centimeter you know. by <laughs> centimeter, to move forward. <laughs> and it's a great watch if you, but you've already seen it. So I won't even go into that.
0: one of the things that i mean is as far as the weird west thing i think the first i really ran into weird west stories is jonah hex in dc comics and what was funny about that is jonah hex would not always be a weird west story but it was like you would get all of these story arcs that were more standard western and then (laughs)
1: <laughs> something out of the blue would show up. Just because Jonah Hex is also a time traveler that's gone all the way to the future. <laughs> yes. He's encountered Batman. He's seen <laughs> himself in a space museum. So when people say Weird West is only supernatural, <laughs> space museum.
0: Yep. Sadly, I wish I could endorse the movie, but anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, ah, uh, did you see Gala Walkers?
0: I have not. I've seen it, I have seen it pop up a few times in, you know, you should watch this, and I probably should have. I just haven't gotten around to it yet.
1: It is so horribly (laughs) awesome. It is so bad. It goes all the way around the globe three times to come out to be awesome. That is, you should watch it. I, I actually, for some of the writers that are doing specific parts of the book, I said, this is mandatory watching. This is like a touchstone <laughs> for you to understand something we're going to be trying to do.
0: <laughs> oh goodness! All right. So speaking of touchstones and and the uh, the old west, what western figures do you think should probably be as well known as people like Billy the Kid or Jesse James or Annie Oakley?
1: Um, Nat Love. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get, let's go get through the easy route yep. right now. Uh, Stagecoach <laughs> Mary. Yeah. Uh, but let's throw some other ones in there, too. Uh, Rufus Cannon. Do you know who Rufus Cannon is?
0: Uh, I am not. I, I am not familiar with Rufus Cannon.
1: Uh, I will only say that Bass Reeves was not alone.
0: Okay. Because I do know Bass Reeves.
1: <laughs> so we, I'll, that, I'll give you... That is a clue for if you want to Google it later. <laughs> um, Polybeams, beams. Uh, I a toy. Um, Red cloud. Like, is... <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's dozens of people that should be as well known, if not more so like their stories and the things they did surpass the awesomeness that these people did because Mm -hmm. of the challenges they had to overcome to do the things they did.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know. It it is really interesting because trying to remember the point at which I first started hearing about Bass Reeves and then wondering why the hell I'd never heard of him before that point, because it was definitely well into my adulthood before I had heard of him. And I cannot believe that a figure like that wasn't more prominently referenced. Okay, I can believe it. <laughs> so
1: I, I'll, I'll get to this sticky wicket, too. There's some people who say, and some people who say it's not true, that Bass Reeves is the inspiration of the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. Which, in my opinion, Bass Reeves is the inspiration of the Lone Ranger. And they stole Bass's story to paster a white person all over it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people haven't heard of Reeves as much because for a lot of these figures, people are stealing their stories and they're turning them to be primarily white stories. Mm-hmm. And that erases the history and it makes it harder to find and research anything about these people. I can say one of the greatest challenges of the entire project was finding the people, which was hard for a lot of folks, but trying to find an image of someone that is that history has actively tried to erase mm-hmm. It's near impossible.
0: Oh yeah. I, I can imagine. And that is one thing that I've noticed. There is a, there's a lot of photographs in uh haunted West. So you don't just get the neat artwork that's in there, but you also get to see actual people that lived and existed. And that was definitely um, something I appreciate in there.
1: We're trying to like raise up their voices so people hear them. And part of that is, a visual medium is a gaming book. So people need to see the people that were there and see that they may have lived 150 odd years ago, but they are not that different than me.
0: Mm-hmm. So this one, uh, this one's probably going to be such a broad question that could take forever or maybe not, but
1: I'll answer it yeah. through words. Go.
0: <laughs> um, I understand why People of color get erased from situations a lot and it has to do with white supremacy. But why is it that there are so many people of color that were prevalent in the old west that just and why the why almost every Western story up to a certain point is so white? Like what is it specifically about the Old West that really, you know, called for that level of whitewashing to people that were inclined to do so?
1: Racist America. Two words.
0: Boom. <laughs> um, you win.
1: A, a logger answer is, and it touches back on one of the reasons why the alternate alternate timeline of the book is about the Reconstruction, mm-hmm. is that while the United States won against the traitors who were the South, they won the war, but they didn't win the campaign. And by no. that, I mean, they let the myth of the lost cause become almost sort of like a rallying cry for racist and white supremacist. Mm. And they got to and they bent and changed the story to sort of turn themselves into victims while at the same time they were the perpetrators of all this horrible violence and atrocities to other people. It's something similar to what the Republicans are doing right now.
0: Yeah, there is definitely um, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, I always kind of wondered why the hell people still have Confederate flags or things of that nature. But it came into really sharp focus. And I heard I've heard some really, you know, people that know what they're talking about, explaining how this kind of flipped around and this turned into, you know, well, after even the Civil War was over, people suddenly glorifying like, what was it? The I'm trying to remember, like the era when most of the Confederate monuments actually went up. Which I is, want to say it's the 1950s. Yeah, it was not anywhere near the actual civil war.
1: And part of it is because Johnson, who became president after Lincoln was assassinated, was quickly trying to just get all the Confederates back into their original positions in Congress and everywhere else. Which then sort of eliminates any progressive change that could have really submitted itself, if not for people like Wade... Stevens, Thaddeus Stevens, by the way, if you don't know who Thaddeus Stevens is, people go out, read about Thaddeus Stevens. (laughs) Thaddeus Stevens was a badass and his portrayal in the Lincoln movie is an insult to how (laughs) amazing this person was. Lincoln only did what he did because of people like Thaddeus Stevens that rode his ass until he did the right thing. It was him, Douglas, they would constantly go after Lincoln to do these progressive things. Mm-hmm. Lincoln may not have liked slavery, but he was okay with it if it kept him in office. It was a political tool that he could use as needed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know I, I tried to go deep here. And, you know, the, part of why I wanted to get into a little bit more of a deeper discussion is because the book is not just a game. It's not just an alternate history. It is about history. And you explore a lot of these topics. And I. I, I really want people to read, uh, you know, all of the historical things that you put in there, because there's some fascinating, fascinating things in there.
1: Well, for the, the book premise alone, a lot of companies, when they make weird Westerns or books, they start with like the weird part and then they work their way down. Mm-hmm. For me, it was important to start with the history. And like that is our foundation. The book, I would say, is 70 percent historically accurate information. And that historical lack of information is called out in its own chapters. So you can see, like, this is actual history. We'll put, like, a little call-out box. We're big fans of call-out boxes <laughs> in the book to let you know this is fictional. Everything else around it is real. So we've got history broken down by people like the Indigenous Nations, the immigrants, Black folks, whoever you are. We've, got a look, we've touched on you in that section. Then we've got a whole section just about locations and the history of those locations. So you can see all that, be it like Santa Fe, um, San Francisco, D.C., uh, Galvinston. It's all right there. And on top of that, then we've got historical folks like Bass Reeves and everyone else. And you can see all the real historical information about them. We add in some plot hicks for our gaming (laughs) stuff. And we add in a couple of weird plot hooks if you want to get really weird with it. And after all of that, we spend 40,000 plus words talking to you about the actual history of America and the people starting like in prehistoric times all the way up to the end of the Western era, which for us, I want to, if I remember right, is 1916, which was the last stagecoach (laughs) robber. And you've got all of this great real information. Cause I wanted you to be able to play, I mentioned the game too, that you can either play a straight up straight historical western game with no supernatural if you want it to and your your biggest concern would be is this water drinkable as you're (laughs) traveling (laughs) or you could play weird west with you can have aliens we have like a meta plot to it you could use the alternate timeline the alternate timeline itself is also built to be historically accurate with no weird so if you want to play an alternate game that's still no weird you can do that or you can add in the word It was important to me that it was almost like a sandbox of tools for Balladeer and Paragons.
0: See, I, I really like that toolkit because there have been a few times when I kind of wanted to run a Western game, but also some of the Western games that I interacted with, I didn't really like how it was presenting things or some of the quirks that showed up, and it I didn't feel comfortable like I was going to be able to run that the way they were presenting the setting, and I really appreciate you know the the whole scope of what you're doing with the history and the alternate history and the thoughtfulness that's going into that.
1: Yeah, it was it was a massive undertaking. We had dozens of sensitivity readers. There were a dozen authors on the book. Uh, <laughs> multiple sessions of layout. When some of the sensitivity readers came back with something that any of us had missed, I would make sure that we would address that. There is at least one thing that slipped that someone caught, and we went back and we spent two or three weeks making sure that was correct and right. And then we ran it back past our reader to make sure that we'd address their concern. Like, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is crucial and unbelievably important to me and the entire process.
0: So... Now that we've talked a lot about the West, are there any other genres that you would like to tackle in the future using your system? Now that you have this bright, shiny new system that was apparently an old system as well.
1: (laughs) Um, I I would say all the genres. How's that for an answer? Uh, So I've I've actually had a couple things I've been noodling on. I'm not going to give a lot of details about them, but I will say that a lot of folks think that horror is my genre my genre is actually sci-fi and superheroes so take that for what you will i may have even written a superhero campaign for pulp cthulhu that's over 120,000 words over all me these <laughs> figures and over a year of my life
0: I, I was gonna say i seem to remember the last time when we were talking about harlem unbound you brought up uh supers at that point in time as well <laughs> <laughs> so i i'm gonna throw a curveball here because i remember seeing this on your twitter account not too long ago but you, you uh threw out to a marvel that you would write uh an old west comic for them
1: hands down at
0: the <laughs> drop of a hat
1: if kevin Flaggy p.m'd me and said hey would you do Blah. i would stop all work and everything else <laughs> I would scream and, and joy, have a long shot of whiskey, in then respond.
0: <laughs> so who would be your favorite uh, character if they said, hey, we need a Marvel movie set in the Old West? You can pick whatever established Marvel Western character, because there's actually a ton of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, well, given, given the direction I think Marvel's going, and I would want to be able to have it span to the future, I would want to redo the Phantom Rider. (laughs) Just because it has enough pulp feel to it and that line of um kind of goes all the way up to modern day Mm -hmm. and interacts with the Avengers. So that's like an easy plug (laughs) to be able to
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that is um and that was also another one of those Western comic or Western, you know, media that kind of overlapped with superheroes and the same tropes between both of them, like we were talking before we started recording about how Lone Ranger did that as well.
1: And I, I would happily, I'd, I'd love to get like an old west ghost <laughs> and get more of the supernatural powers into it. Ah, oh.
0: <laughs> see that's see that that's what you need if you're gonna do if you're gonna do this big, pitch the ghost thing to them so you have you have the ghost prequel that is in you know the old west, and then you just keep. <laughs> riding it through <laughs> there we got your career mapped out now so, yeah That's...
1: <laughs> if, if only they would reach out I, i'd be right there
0: um do you have any future projects that you want to hint at other than what that you already hinted at <laughs> uh,
1: so no what what i learned about haunted, making haunted west that I, I talked about it too early <laughs> and so now i'm keeping everything close to the vest I'll tell you some stuff I'm interested in, and maybe I'm doing that. <laughs> that maybe I'm not. <laughs> that'll work.
0: Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll be looking forward to your uh, superhero uh, game here, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> and whatever uh, sci-fi you know thing you're clearly working on as well, because that that is your wheelhouse.
1: So. <laughs> I I may have. I may already have a sci-fi thing that I was playing <laughs> that I wrote while we were in the middle of Haunted West. Maybe, <laughs> maybe some of the, the play testers might have even wrote some stuff for Haunted West <laughs> since they knew the system.
0: <laughs> never know. Maybe, you know. So as long as we're conjecturing about things, what, what subgenre of science fiction would you be uh, kind of gearing towards?
1: I would be more of a hard sci-fi person. Okay, but given the the massive amount of research and everything else I've been doing over the past seven, eight years in the industry, I think I'm going to make a space opera (laughs) or I get to create everything. (laughs) And then the only the only rules I have to adhere to after that book goes out is what we put in that book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I actually I had a friend that ran a Star Wars campaign for us. And he was literally a rocket scientist. (laughs) And he would stop every so often and say, I was going to do a really cool thing based on physics here, but I'm running Star Wars and that has no place here.
1: (laughs) But I will tell you a game that I am not working on that if they listen to this, if they want me to work on it, I'm right here. I know that Blade Runner will be coming out in the near future. Just saying.
0: I am. I am very interested in the number of licensed games that just kind of exploded here in the last few months.
1: I know. I, I need to find out how they're doing it because I have some licenses I'm interested <laughs> in, but I'm not going to say what they are. I mean... They're all Sesame Street licensed, by the way. I want Sesame Street the playing.
0: Uh You have Super Grover there, so I mean... <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. uh. Um... So where can people find you and your work online?
1: They can go to my website. That's darkhustudios.com. And they can find me mostly on Twitter at darker underscore hue. I will rant about some politics, mostly about alcohol and history (laughs) and some game design. And every so often I do an Ask Me Anything. That is awesome.
0: I am definitely going to be looking forward to whatever you do next, whether it's anything that you hinted here or not. Sesame Street. Yes, I will be looking forward to your awesome License Sesame Street RPG.
1: It's going to be a dark and gritty Sesame Street. It'll be like, what went down on Sesame Street? There we go. Oh, sorry, trademark, So nobody can to get it.
0: It's <laughs> all mine. Stay away, Zack Snyder. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thank you for being back on the Gnomecast. I hope to see you again soon.
1: Thanks for having me. Take care, everybody.
0: This show is funded by the Gnomes 2 Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomes 2 website to the Gnomes 2 Patreon. This ad brought to you by Neela Radavni's Completely Safe Cowboy Hats. These hats are durable, stylish, and don't have an alien symbiont hiding in them that will slowly subvert the will of anyone wearing them. When you need a hat to ride the range, make sure it's a completely safe cowboy hat. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. They're a Super Geek. They're a Super Geek is an actual play one-shot live stream created by three Bimpok players to highlight the voices of marginalized folks in a TTRPG scene. They feature gender-marginalized GMs and a diverse rotating cast of players. Tune in every other Thursday from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the misdirected Mark Twitch. You can find all of us at GnomesDo.com, at GnomesDo on Twitter, and GnomesDo on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at KnowJR? And you can find my personal blog at whatdoinojr.com You can find the text-to-speech podcast of my blog posts at anchor.fm slash blog. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.